Today, we're starting a new series in a very important subject, and that is worship. How many of you love worshiping? Yeah, it's, it's a great thing, and, and we've always been a church that, that relished worship. So I, I want to be able to take the next three weeks to kind of outline and share a little bit about uh, our convictions about worship, and I'm going to invite you to do this, okay? You've you got to travel along with me because I'm going to take us a little bit beyond the, uh, the, uh, what you're going to be studying in your cell group because in the cell group, uh, we will be talking about this subject as well and we'll be exploring what the Bible has to say about worship. But in the sessions that I have with you, I would like to take us into, uh, take, take us into the, that spiritual realm and take a little bit at what happened actually in the unseen realm when we actually worship the Lord. So let me just um, begin by saying this. There was a story that was told about a, a wife who kind of walked into the house one day and the husband was there and he announced to the husband, he says, darling, I think there's something wrong with our car. And so the wife asked her, so what's wrong? And then the, 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 the husband asked the wife, what's wrong? And the wife said, I think there's water in the carburetor. And then the husband said, ah, don't be silly. You don't even know what a carburetor is. Now, don't worry, I'll handle it. Where's the, where's the car now? And she said, it's in the swimming pool. <laughs> you know, there are some things that we cannot explain, but we just know it. You understand? She cannot explain it, but she knows it. And there are certain things in life that we may not be able to explain, but we know because we experience it. And one of those things is the fact that all of us have a spiritual hole in our soul. Every one of us is born with a vacuum inside of our spirit. That, uh, something inside of us, a vacuum inside that cannot be filled except with the person of God. And it is when God invades our, the hole in our soul that our spirit man becomes alive. You see, and that's what, then when our spirit man becomes alive, you see, all of us are born with this hole in our soul. There's something missing. And when that hole in our soul can never be filled until the spirit of God actually fills it. And then when the spirit of God fills us, and that's the born again experience, right? When the spirit of God actually fills us, and then we become alive. And then what comes out of us when we become alive spontaneously is worship. See, when the Spirit of God richly invades us, when God begins to invade that hole in our soul, we become alive spiritually. And then what comes out spontaneously is worship. So can I put it this way? I think worship is the human experience or, or the human response to the touch of God. What is worship? Worship is the human response to the touch of God. That when God touches us, we spontaneously begin to respond to Him in worship. So forms and rituals, whether it is traditional or whether it's charismatic, do not produce true worship in itself. It's not the forms. It's not what we happen up here on the stage that makes it true worship. But worship does not happen until spirit touches spirit. Are you with me? It's not what happens up here. It's not even what happened down there, whether you, you jump or, or whatever. But the thing is this. True worship only happens when spirit touches spirit. When the Holy Spirit touches out that human spirit, what comes out spontaneously is worship. William Temple, the great mystic, I think put it 
so poignantly. I love this, one of the best definitions of worship I've ever come across. It goes like this. William Temple said, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, and to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. What do you think? It's such an amazing definition of worship. You know, the, 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 the conscience, the mind, the emo- imagination, the heart, the will, the whole faculty of man actually engage with God. That's what worship is, which tells me this. It's not just the singing that constitutes our worship this, this morning. It's not, just, it's not just the singing. The preaching itself, right now we are worshiping God because your mind is being engaged with truth, Right? The altar call, when you respond and you come out and you receive prayer, what is that? That's part of worship too. It's spirit touching spirit, and we are responding to God. Uh, Vance Hefner, a very humorous guy, he said this, too many worship services start at 11 a.m. sharp, and then you end at 11.30 down. You know, we start very sharp and we end very down. That is so far removed from what the psalmist said in Psalm 16, 11, which says that the psalmist said, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How many of you know coming to worship this morning is supposed to be fun? It's supposed to be pleasurable. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. In your presence, fullness of joy. Are you happy this morning? Are you joyful? You should be. We are here to encounter this great God. But worship is such a spiritually delightful experience that it cannot and it should not be dull. Every worship service should be really enjoyable and pleasurable. And have you ever asked yourself why we, sometimes we can have tremendous musicality, we have powerful instruments, great acoustics, but yet not a greater manifestation of the presence of God. And, and to me, the heart cry on our, my heart and the heart of the, the team and the heart of our worship ministry, the heart cry is, Lord, we want more of your presence. It is your presence that brings us the greatest pleasure. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I tell you, worship is Christ-centered. It is not situation-driven. It's, it's centered on God. It is a willing, not just a feeling. Every morning when you come on Sunday, every time you go to your cell group, we decide to give God the worship simply because He's worthy to be praised. It's not situation-driven. It is God-centered. After all, worship is derived from the old English word, worth-ship. So what is worship? It It means to attribute worth to someone or to something. How many of you know that God is worthy, right? So every time we worship, we're attributing worth to Him. And when we worship God, we're attributing great value to, to Him. And worship is not focused on circumstances. I may come in with, with issues in my life. I may come in with some brokenness this morning, but I choose to worship God out of the depths of my being. And worship is centered on the person of God. Uh, in the year 1744, I still remember, uh, I remember because I, I used to be a Methodist pastor. Uh, so I read a lot about Charles Wesley, John Wesley. There was one incident that took place in 1744. Charles Wesley was in England and he was holding a prayer meeting. And then when suddenly the floor that they were on 
it just gave way, it collapsed, you know, and from the, from the first floor, they collapsed into the ground floor. All 100 people that was in the room, they all landed at the bottom. Pandemonium, you know, broke out. Some people were crying, some were screaming, some were a little bit dazed, others were just sick, sitting in shock, some were injured. But when the dust settled, Charles Wesley, who was himself wounded, he was lying on the ground, he shouted at everybody, and this was what he shouted, Fear not! The Lord is with us. Our lives are all in His hand. And then he broke out into a doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Of course, the choice of song may not be very good, but <laughs> what a spirit the man had. <laughs> That's my point. The choice of song, never mind, but that, what a spirit that man had. While everybody else was still licking their wounds, this unstoppable worshiper was responding with unshakable praise. The heart of God is, is drawn to a persevering worshiper who may, who may be overwhelmed by trouble, but even more overwhelmed by the beauty of God. I come sometimes in a, in a, into a service uh, with a lot of things on my, on my heart, in my mind, and I'm troubled by a lot of things, but every time the music strikes up, I say, God, I'm going to give you worship that you are worthy. It doesn't matter. It's not situation-driven. It's not circumstance-driven, but it is God-centered. He is worthy of it all. And then we choose to worship. And the funny thing is, by the time we finish the session, usually my spirit is a little bit lifted already because God meets us. Spirit touches spirit. Hebrews 13, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess His name. So question, what is the sacrifice of praise? Now, can I say this? I do not think that it is just about praising God when you don't feel like it. Now, many times we, we say that uh, it's sacrifice of praise is about praising God when we don't feel like it. So you force yourself to sing when you don't mean what you're singing, but just go through it. Just, just decide to do that. Listen, I think that God will only take what is freely given. I don't think God is hard up for a few nice words that do not flow out of willing hearts. What do you think? I think it should always come out of a willing heart. So how do we understand this? Um, and I want to talk a little bit more about the sacrifice of praise in session three, but enough for me to say that I don't think it's just forcing ourselves to do things we don't mean, but every praise, everything we offer to God must come from a willing heart. See? And so what is this sacrifice of praise? Where does this term come from? I think it's actually rooted in the Old Testament. So let me just paint that context for you. One of the best pictures of worship in the Old Testament would be the golden altar of incense in the tabernacle of, of Moses. Now, in case there are people here who don't have a background to what that is, can I just give you a, a broad stroke? Then I can narrow in and help you to see this, okay? Now, um, this is not something that a lot of people talk about nowadays uh, in, in the modern church, but in the Old Testament, you know that God um, actually allowed the people of Israel to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. We all know that, right? So while they were in the wilderness, God actually asked them to build a sanctuary where He could meet with His people while they were in the wilderness. And that sanctuary that they built was a huge structure. 
And that structure is called a tabernacle. The word tabernacle literally means tent. So God built a tent where he could meet his people. And they, sometimes in the Old Testament, you read it as a tent of meetings. Right? So they go there and they meet God. And I'm going to give you a quick rundown so that if you ever read the Old Testament, in Exodus especially, maybe it will make some sense uh, to you. Okay? Now, the tabernacle is actually a huge structure, like a tent, and then it is done in such a way that if I take a helicopter, oh no, okay, if I imagine if I take a drone and I use a drone and from the top I look down, this is what the tabernacle would look like. Okay? And here's and why this thing is so important. Okay, the tabernacle is a huge rectangular structure. Okay? It's a huge tent. And it, the way it works is this. They, first of all, there are four pillars that holds up a curtain. Holds up a curtain. And everything that is in the tabernacle speaks to us of what is to come. Okay? These four curtains, every person who wants to meet with God has to go in through this curtain. And these four pillars that holds up the curtain, I think it's a picture of the Gospels. It's like the four Gospels. It's through the Gospel that people come into the presence of God. People get into relationship with God. So anyone who wants to come in, you have to go through this curtain held up by four pillars, which is a picture of the Gospel. Inside, there'll be another tent. Okay, and this tent... There's another tent inside, but the moment you walk in, after you come through the Gospels, people come in, the first thing you will see is a big uh, altar, okay? And this big altar is where they kill the animals. The priests kill the animals, shed the blood, and then after that, they can approach God. So it's a beautiful picture. We call it the brazen laver, uh, the, the brazen altar. It's made of bronze, okay? And it's a big thing, like a barbecue pit. And there they kill the animals, shed the blood. It is a picture really of the cross. Okay, it's, it, tell, it reminds us of the day when Jesus will come and become the ultimate sacrifice. And through his blood, we can, we can go further. And it is through the, the sacrifices here, and then the priest will sacrifice all the animals, shed the blood, and then after that, they can go in further. The next thing you will see is a laver. They call it a brazen laver. It's a bronze laver uh, with water inside. And what the priest would do is after they kill all the animals, the blood and all that is dirty, they come to the laver and they wash their hands. And the laver really is a picture of the Word of God. Okay, because it's the, the water of the Word. When they look in, the priest will see their own reflection. It's like the Word of God. It is through the Word that we know our own condition. Okay, and the word washes us. So the blood that is here washes us of all of our committed sins and the word washes us from all the contamination of a sinful world. Are you with me? Okay, this one, the, the blood that was shed washes of all of our past sin and the water, the word washes us from the contamination, the influence of a sinful world. Okay, then after this, they are able to enter the next place. This whole area outside is called the outer court. And this is where the people can stay. But beyond that, only the priesthood can come in here. And this, there'll be another curtain here that is held up by five posts. I think the five posts is a picture of the fivefold ministry. Okay, it is through the ministry of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that people are being ushered into the holy place. There's a second place here. 
called the holy place. And then inside, there is a curtain, the veil. Okay, and inside this holy place, sorry, the holy place is here. Okay, and this third segment here, separated by the veil, is called the holy of holies. Okay, the holy of holies. And when you come in here, inside you will see a few things. One of them would be a golden lampstand. There's a golden lampstand inside, and this is the source of lighting that is here. The golden lampstand is a picture of the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold the Spirit of God that illuminates us now, okay? And then over the other side, you'll see a table. They call it a table of showbread. On top of it, there are six pieces of chapati. Uh, actually, it's six pieces of unleavened bread, okay? There is no yeast inside, so they, they look like roti pratas, you know? Then it says six pieces there. On one side, six pieces. On the other side, it's a beautiful picture of the, the church, you know? And there are 12 tribes in Israel, one piece for each tribe. Okay, they, you can, and that's where the table of showbread is. The priest will go there and change the bread, eat the bread, uh, etc. But the important one that I want to bring our attention to this morning, and just to give us a background to this, there is an incense altar that is here. Okay, an altar of incense. And this is where the priest would actually burn the, 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 the incense. Okay, and this incense would then rise to God. Are you with me? And that is a beautiful picture of worship, praise, intercession. And, you know, they cannot go into the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, there is a very important article called the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, and the Ark of the Covenant has a mercy seat there, and then you have two angels over it, and in between is the Shekinah glory of God. That's the presence of God. No one can go in here except the high priest. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest will take the incense that is here, put it into a little censer, and then he carries it and he goes in once a year. And it is there that he will make atonement for the people. Are you with me? Nobody else can go beyond the veil except the high priest. And he goes in there only one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And he makes the atonement. If everything goes well, God accepts it. Praise the Lord, he will come, he will come out. But if he goes in and is not accepted that, that day, too bad. The guy will drop dead. And then what would they do? They, have a, they actually tie a string to him already. So that if he, they hear that, they will pull him out. And then they have to change the high priest. Okay, but if all things go well, they go in, offer the incense, it's accepted, he comes out, they all celebrate. One more year, we are good. <laughs> but how many of you know that veil has been torn? When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn into two and the presence of God walks out and now it's no longer kept in the tent. It is now dwelling in all of us. See, and we now can come into the presence of the Lord. But it is this altar here that burns that incense and that's the sacrifice of praise we are talking about. It's the priest that burns and offers this sacrifice of this incense to the Lord. And how many of you know you are priests today? So you are the one now that will offer that sacrifice of praise. In the third session, I'll tell you specifically what the sacrifice of praise should be today. But what, what's important for us this morning is to understand this. Nearly every article, and they're all together seven articles, one, two, three, four, five, six, and the mercy seat, seven. All together, 
out of the seven articles, every single one of them were meant for God to meet man's need. Only one is for man to meet God's desire. And what would that be? It's the altar of incense. That's the one where we give to the Lord. You see? And Psalms 141 verse 2, listen carefully to this. The, the psalmist said, Let my prayers be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hand as the evening sacrifice. So that's where you get that sacrifice of praise. See, it's every time we offer prayer, intercession, worship, it is equated with the incense of the Old Testament. The lifting of our hands is like the evening sacrifice. How many of you know that when you come here to worship every Sunday and you lift up your hands, it is not just a culture or a custom. You are literally saying to God, I am lifting up my incense to you. The lifting of my hands is a picture of that. As a priest, I am giving to God the incense he desires and he deserves. You see, it must, and it is not for my benefit, it's for his, to meet his desire. And 1 Timothy 2.8 says, Therefore I desire, Paul says, that men pray everywhere, lifting holy hands without wrath or doubting. And again, you see in these verses, the two things God desires, prayer and the lifting of our hands, incense and sacrifice. And by the way, praise and prayer is never separated from the Bible, right? The harp and the bow always comes together. And when we lift our hands in worship, we see our prayer, our praise, our adoration ascend to God. And then we see His glory come down. And that's what the sacrifice of praise is. It's not just praising God when I don't feel like it. Then it becomes patronizing rather than praising God. Let it come from the heart. I'm a priest today. You are a priest today. And we come to offer our incense to the Lord through our prayers and the lifting up of our hands. That's why I love it when, I, when we have worship and I see everybody in the hall with our hands lifted up. It's not about culture. It's not, oh, it's charismatic. That's why we have to do it. No, it is about lifting our hearts to the Lord. It's a symbol. See, so when you worship God, lift your hands and just worship Him. And when you see your hands lifted up, it's a reminder to your own spirit, right? That I am lifting up my, my praise to God. As a priest, I offer to God what He desires. See, and, and then it becomes, when it really comes from the heart and it comes with understanding, it becomes acceptable sacrifices. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Listen to this. As you come to Him, Paul wrote, the living stone, referring to Jesus, rejected by man, chosen by God, precious to him. You also, like living stones, all of us living stones, are being built in the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. For what? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, how do you make, a, make sacrifice acceptable? It, it constitutes three things. Number one, it must be spiritual in nature. Okay, it must be spiritual in nature. Two, the sacrifice we give to God, it must be acceptable to the Lord. And number three, how to make it acceptable? It is through Jesus Christ. So without no cross, no worship. It is through Jesus that we can now offer to God an acceptable sacrifice that is spiritual in nature. So while you lift your hands, it is it's not just the act of lifting your hands. It is the knowledge that from the Spirit I'm offering to God 
the praise that he is worthy of. Then King David once said in Psalms 19 verse 14, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Hallelujah. This incense that we offer to God here, right? The incense that we offer to God. And this is what God desires. The, the Old Testament is very, very clear about what the incense is made of. And can I just quickly walk you through this, okay? How, what makes the, what is this incense really made of? Um, that, for that, we had to go to Exodus chapter 30, okay? Can you go there with me? Exodus chapter 30. Are you with me so far? Getting a picture? Okay, now Exodus chapter 30 actually give us some, in, some insight into what those incense are and, and the relevance of it to all of us today. Exodus 30, let me read for you verse 34 to 38. Okay, my time is up, so I need to rush to this point, okay? Exodus 30, verse 34 to 38. And the Lord said to Moses, this is the incense the priests are to offer, take sweet spices, stector and onica and gabanum and pure frankincense, with these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each. And you shall make of this incense a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the ark in the tabernacle of meetings where I will meet with you. And that's referring to this piece here, the ark, okay? And they, they are supposed to take some of it, bring it in the incense, and place it before the ark, okay? Then he goes on to say this, and where I will meet with you, it shall be most holy to you. But as for incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourself according to its composition. You see, these incense are uniquely given to God. Nobody is supposed to make this incense or this perfume and put it in their own house. It's not meant for that. Only God is worthy to receive worship. So you make this unique incense and it shall be holy for the Lord, set apart, pure for the Lord. Whoever makes any of it and to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. That means if you go and take that which is meant for God and you keep it to yourself, you'll be cut off. It was so uniquely meant for God. Worship is meant for God. And so since, and since this incense is what we offer to God in worship in the Old Testament, let's find out what those ingredients are and then it can point us to what is in the New Testament, okay? So let me just walk you through this. It's quite interesting when I started to study it. Uh, there, are, there are four ingredients that were pointed out, right? What are they? If you look at those verses, you'll find them. Stacta, Onica, Gabanum, and then Frankincense. These are the four ingredients specially designated for this incense for the Lord. Uh, let's look at them one at a time, and then we get some insights from here. Number one is Stacta. Okay, S-T-A-C-T-E. The Hebrew word for stector is the word natap, N-A-T-A-P, which literally means this, to drop forth words by inspiration. To drop off words by inspiration. So this word is really rooted in prophecy. Words that are inspired. Okay, to drop off words by inspiration. It speaks of being inspired to speak forth. Okay, it is something that God does. You know, so when you begin to worship God, you ever notice that sometimes you're worshiping God and then God put words in your mouth that you speak forth and you begin to exhort Him and it is words that are inspired by the Spirit. 
and, and it tells us that worship is ultimately something that the Holy Spirit inspires in a prophetic manner. And how many of you know that we can sing words, but yet without any inspiration? You just read, the, you just watch the, the words on the screen and then you just sing it. But it means nothing very much to you. But there are days when you are so inspired by the Spirit that those words come alive. Every word means something. And then you begin to sing it from the bottom of a heart. Then you know stacta is there. Words drop forth by inspiration. And what is this stacta? It's actually a resin that is found in a tree in Israel called the storax tree. That's where you get this, um, it's like a secretion that comes out of this tree called the storax tree. But in order to get this secretion, one thing you must do is you must cut away the bark. You must cut away the bark from this tree, the storax tree, then you can get the secretion. This speaks to me of the cutting away of the flesh. It's like a circumcision, if you like. Therefore, it is an acceptable sacrifice. It's one that is void of the flesh. Take the flesh out of the way. Take our, our, our carnality out of the way. And what comes forth will be that which is inspired by the Spirit. Hello? With me? It's so important. So that it takes you beyond just come here, you know, whatever song we flesh out, you just sing. And sometimes it means nothing to you. Cannot be. Every song that we sing, let it be inspired by the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God just inspire you so that the words that you sing out, they you literally mean it. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, and the only way you can do that is get rid of the flesh. Get rid of your own, your own you know, mind, will, emotion. You look at Philippians 3, 3, and listen to what it says. For it is we, Paul says, who are the circumcision. You know, who, we who worship by the Spirit of God. You want to worship? Worship by the Spirit of God, whose glory, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. We don't put our confidence in what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling. We don't put our confidence in the flesh. We put our confidence in the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God inspire us. You and I are those who are of the circumcision by the Spirit. So we worship by the Spirit of God. You cannot get the prophetic out until the flesh is cut away. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrates between, uh, to even to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is that which cuts through. And we come and we worship according to the word of God, in spirit and in truth. That's when worship becomes real. Now, you know what does worship in spirit and in truth really mean? I didn't have time to cover that, but enough for me to just say this. I think to worship in spirit and in truth is to worship, first of all, in spirit means that it's inspired by the spirit. So to worship in spirit is to, be in, to worship because we are inspired by the spirit. In truth means according to the reality of who God is. So to worship in spirit and in truth means I'm so inspired by the Spirit to be able to worship God according to how real He is to me. Get me? What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? To worship Him because I'm inspired by God, by His Spirit, in, and, in, and according to what I know is true of Him. 
So you want to worship God truly as the healer. Sometimes, who are, who are the people who really worship God as Jehovah Rapha? He's the one who has been healed, you know. Who can really worship God as the one who, who can provide? Except that you really know within your heart, He is my provider. I worship Him in spirit, inspired by the Spirit, according to the truth of who He is. In spirit and in truth. And it, it, we need this spontaneously from within, when the flesh is out of the way, we worship according to the Spirit. Amen. Stector, you know, and, and once it is the case, you know, if, uh, if, if it's inspired by the Spirit, it's something spontaneous, freely given, once the flesh is out of the way. We, then we, when we do it, you must do it with all of your heart, not half-hearted, but wholehearted. So if you're going to clap, then clap with with, with gusto. If you're going to sing, then sing in the top of your lungs. Don't be half-hearted about it. I'm inspired, man, by the Spirit. And I'm going to sing in all my heart. If I'm going to dance, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to dance like Lester. It's got to be like that. That is the, the, the gold standard that we're going for. You know, that, if you're going to jump, then forget about the person next to you and just let go. I love that. <laughs> You know, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 says this, As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by man, chosen by God, precious to Him, you also like living stones. That's what Peter called all of us. We are living stones. We are being built into a spiritual house. We are holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You and I are described as living stones. So everybody say with me, I'm a living stone not a dead stone. <laughs> so when you come and worship, show some life, man. Be alive. We are all living stones put together to be a spiritual house. So when I worship, I want to worship with life. Okay, you watch me. Doesn't matter what happened. My hands will be in the air. I'll worship God with all of my heart because He is worthy of it. I like what John Wesley said, you know, he said this, sing lustily with a good courage. Beware of singing like as if you are half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. I like that. You know, and you know what? You don't need the worship leader every Sunday to come here and try and rev you up, you know, like some pom-pom girl or some cheer cheerleader. He's not a cheerleader. He's here to lead us into the Holy of Holies. And you should come prepared, ready to worship already. Don't wait for the worship leader to wrap you up. You know, come ready. If you come ready with all your hearts ready to worship and say, God, inspire me so that I can give you worship from the depths of my being. I tell you, you don't need a long runway to take off. You should come ready and eager to worship. Then 25 minutes of worship is more than enough to take you into the Holy of Holies. If you come unprepared, you'll be hanging around the outer court for too long. By the time you get in, worship is over already. So you come prepared. Then you don't need a long runway to get into the presence of God. And one of the keys to getting prepared, now can I suggest, and please forgive me, this, really, this is really for everybody's, for your benefit too. You come on time. Then you are there ready already. By the time the worship leader comes up, we are there. We are ready, like a plane, you know, all wrapped up, ready to go. And the moment the worship starts, we burst into the presence of God. We don't slowly wander our way in, you know, still days. 
we are ready we burst into the presence of God. And then we are ready to go. And I think this, if, if you take off quickly, you'll be soaring before you know it. You take off slowly, you'll be hanging. By the time you want to land, uh, the worship over now. <laughs> the sacrifice of praise and worship that we give to God, spontaneous, freely given from our hearts. And interestingly, you know the words, the stector, this, this resin is also used as a medication to clear the lungs and stomach. And it speaks of the prophetic utterance, you know, when stector is there, there's an inspiration that causes our lungs to burst forth and explode, you know. And we will burst into the presence of God Sunday after Sunday. And we will find a lot of time to linger there. And that's how the prophetic words can come. We have to linger in the presence and then we can come. Okay, you got that stector. Inspired by the Spirit spontaneously. There's the next one, gabanum. Okay, this is also a sticky secretion. It comes from the mitre tree. It only comes out when there's a split in the tree. Very interesting, this one. Uh, when you cut deep into the tree, gabanum is a, is a white milky substance that flows out. Okay, and it speaks of worship, really, that is out of the brokenness of the heart. When there's a split in the tree, this secretion comes forth. When there's a brokenness in us, there's a depth of worship that comes forth. You know, some of the most, um, out of our inner brokenness, we actually offer to God the deepest worship. Is that true? Out of our deepest brokenness comes some of our deepest worship. I never forget one incident. I was in Melbourne and I was uh, work, uh, having a consultation with a team of very young pastors. So as we were sitting there and talking, midway through that conversation, the worship pastor, he got up and he, the, his phone rang. So he walked out and he answered the call. About 10 minutes later, he came back. And the moment he came back, we all knew something has gone wrong because his face was white, you know. And he looks really shocked. And then he made the announcement that what happened was he was expecting his first baby, his first child. The wife just went to see to visit the gynae that morning. And the wife called him from the gynae's office to say that they discovered that the baby was entopic. That means the baby was, uh, the fetus is outside the ovary and not inside. And as a result, that baby needs to be aborted. Uh, it needs to be removed. And it was, well, it was like, there's nothing they can do. And when he announced that, you know, we were all shocked. I didn't know what to say. The, the pastors didn't know what to say. So we all sat there and looked at him. And I didn't know what to do. They don't know what to do. And we just sat there in silence. And then suddenly, this worship pastor, he just, out of the blue, he started to sing. When everybody didn't know what to do, he started to sing. And the song that came out was this song that we used to sing, right? When the oceans rise and thunders roll, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still, know you are God. And the moment he sang that, the presence of God just flooded that room. And then we all just spontaneously joined in. And we started to sing together with him. Find rest, my soul, in Christ alone. Know his power in quietness and trust. When the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still, 
know you are God. And the presence of God just flooded that place. And everything changed. The last time I met this young pastor, he had three children already. God just restored. Out of that time, out of the time of being in God's presence, everything changed. You know, the Hebrew word for gabanum is the word chibana, which is rooted in the word for fat. You know, the fat of the sacrifice, you know, which is the best portion of Old Testament animal sacrifice is the fat. And how interesting, it reminds us that the best worship we can offer to God is that which comes out of our deepest pain, of our brokenness. And out of our deepest pain can come our sweetest song. And it's interesting that when gabanum is added to the other spices, you know, the fragrance will last longer. And when we have this attitude of perseverance in our, in, in our worship, we can worship God whether in good times or in bad. Medicinally, gabanum keeps people from losing control. I like that. It helps people from, in fact, it's used to prevent fits, you know, people having fits, you know. It's gabanum is used to prevent that. It tells me that acceptable worship can be offered, you know, in the worst times, in the best times, but in an orderly manner. It is not emotionalism, but it is offered with understanding. Hallelujah. Comes back to the heart motivation. We worship with reality and in a responsible manner. Real and authentic worship. Stecta, inspired by the Spirit spontaneously. Gabanum, it is out of our brokenness. The next one is onica. Can I quickly take you through that? This is an ingredient that comes out of a shellfish. Okay, very interesting. The shellfish is, this shellfish is only found five or 600 feet deep in the Red Sea. And tells me that worship must be something that flows out of the depths of our innermost being. Let it come to the depth of our being. Psalms 42, 7, the psalmist says, deep calls unto deep. And as we allow this deep overflow of worship to take place, we are now focused totally on the Lord. I am lost in the presence of God. Hallelujah. Let it come from deep within. But here's the most interesting thing about Onika. Tamara Winslow, who is a, a great YWAM teacher, did a research on this. And what he found was that the word onika also means a lion-like roar. It's rooted in the word for a lion-like roar. Uh, to offer worship in the depths of our being, we must have the confidence and the bonus about what we are singing and declaring. That because you know this is true of God, we become very bold in declaring it. You become like a lion. Your worship takes on a dimension of boldness because you are so sure. It's from the devil I'm being, I believe God for who he is. Now, I'll tell you why lions roar, and that's why we gather every Sunday. You know why lions roar a lot? You notice tigers don't roar that much. Lions do. Why? Because number one is territorial claim. Lions roar because it is to declare to everybody else around, this is my territory, hands off. Take your hands off, this is my territory. Tigers, you notice, they roam all over the forest, but lions live on the plains, so they need to know where their territories are. So every time we come together and we worship God from the depths of our being, right, with Onika, you know what we are saying to the devil? This is my territory. You take your hands off. My family belongs to me. You take your hands off. My health belongs 
to God. You take your hands off. And we learn to know that this is God's territory and we claim it. The second is tribal communication. Lions move around in, in packs of up to 20 to 30. And they stay together as a tribe. And they roar in order to communicate the bond. We are one tribe. When we come together to worship every Sunday, and we are singing and declaring the, the things of God, you know what we are doing? We are bonding spiritually. Hello. Nothing bonds us more than worshipping together. We are declaring and roaring together as one tribe. And we are telling the devil, you take on one of us, you have to take on all of us. We are one people. So praise and worship help us to strengthen our family ties. When we fire one another up in the spirit, we have lions roar from our innermost being. <laughs> Here's number three. We terrorize the enemy. They terrorize the enemy with a roar. Do you know the devil is, a, is also, also described as a lion that prowls around looking for whom he may devour? I tell you one thing, the devil may have, but the devil has no more authority. You know, he may have power, but he has no authority. He may bite, but he got no teeth now. He can only gum you, not bite you. <laughs> and how many of you know that our lion of Judah, when he roars, it is with authority. You know, we don't let the enemy intimidate us, but we terrorize him. And we come together like this, and we worship, and we declare, and we roar together. The more glorious, the more terrorized the enemy will be. And he will know. We know who we are in Christ. As we gather to worship, we engage in spiritual warfare, and we roar in the Spirit. And this morning, may Onika be here, and we roar with spiritual authority. Every week when we come together, let's roar together. Ken? Let's roll together. Frankincense, one last thing. Huh? The word frankincense actually means whiteness, labona. It speaks of purity, godliness. This is a spice that is gathered in a very unique way. You know, when the pure frankincense is, is, is derived, it is when there's a split, you know, in a tree called a labona tree. And when that tree has a split, you can collect this. But it's only in the wee hours of the morning. In the early hours of the morning, this secretion will come out and you've got to collect it then because after that, it will harden. So they had to collect it at that time. Then it becomes pure frankincense. And that's why frankincense is so expensive. It has its value in gold. It speaks because it is really, you need to get it by paying a price. We hours of the morning. And it reminds me of personal worship. You know, that is a personal aspect of worship. Worship is not just something we do corporately when we come together as a church, but it is, it's, also, it's, it's also a personal desire where we seek God and we pay a price to dig deep and to seek His presence. Hallelujah. Here are four simple ingredients. Tecta, inspired by the Spirit, taking away the flesh. Let's worship Him in spirit and in truth. Gabanum which is out of our own brokenness, can come our sweetest and deepest worship. Or Nika, may the deep inner confidence that we will roar like a lion every time we come together. And we do it with all of our hearts. And frankincense, you know, where we pay a price, come deep into the presence of God, and we lay hold of Him. And I tell you what, friends, I hope that the culture, the worship culture of the church can be one where we can find all these ingredients every time we gather. Amen. May we be inspired by the Spirit every time. The lifting of our hands, the evening sacrifice. 
and then we lift it up before God with understanding, in spirit and in truth, with boldness because we know we have onica, the lion like roar, and we tell the devil, get in line. Don't touch our tribe. Amen. Why don't we stand together this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, I want to ask you this morning to respond to God by allowing the Holy Spirit to come and inspire you to worship Him. And let it come from the depths of our being. I know that we all come from different backgrounds, different churches in the past, different denominations. But you know, I believe that we can all worship God together corporately. We lift our hands you know, like, a, like a priest because you are a priest. And today, instead of burning incense, we lift our hands to God as an evening sacrifice that our prayer become like incense that rises to the throne of God. And we do it not because I'm comfortable or not comfortable. I do it because that's what God desires. And worship is for Him, not for me. And then we give Him what God desires. And then let a confidence come into you. You worship God in spirit and in truth. Let a confidence come inside you. Then you can roar like a lion. And we let the devil know he stay in his place. You know, today the world is in fear. But we want to raise him up and say, God, you are in control. The devil don't intimidate us, but we terrorize him and we know who we are. And let it come and let it pure worship come. Hallelujah. Lift your hearts to God and let's worship him. Thank you, Jesus.